Sheet Harbor Radio is proud and pleased to present this interview with Sean Fraser, Member of Parliament for Central Nova. This interview was conducted by Roscoe Schofield and Mark Krause. Sean, we know that uh, that all politics is local, and so it's uh, we're interested in finding out exactly what you feel the impact will be of the federal budget on Sheet Harbor and indeed the catchment area on the Eastern Shore. So if you'd like to tell us about that, we'd love to hear about it. Yeah, so I think one of the, uh, one of the things to uh, be um, uh, upfront about is the, uh, the, the federal budget usually lays out a, a framework and a suite of policies uh, rather than specific individual projects. Of course, those projects uh, eventually follow down the road. Uh, but the framework outlined in, uh, in Budget 2019, uh, from where I uh, sit, uh, is exciting. Uh, it's going, because it's going to have uh, an impact not just on Sheet Harbor, but the other communities that I, I represent as well. Uh, when I look at some of the, um, the, the big ticket items in there, uh, what comes to mind uh, first is uh, the commitment to uh, enhance high-speed internet. Uh, there's been a commitment made in this budget to connect 95% of Canadians uh, to high-speed internet by 2026 and 100% by 2030. Uh, this is the first time a federal government has made a commitment to universal access to high-speed internet in Canada, no matter where you live. Uh, now, I, I can't say with certainty, I know the specific date, this means uh, Sheet Harbor and the catchment area for your, uh, your radio station uh, is all going to be connected. Uh, but I can say with confidence that, that it's coming and, and hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, there's been a, um, a huge theme uh, behind the budget uh, to support uh, both seniors and young people as well. Uh, and, and sorry, please stop me if you, you want to dig in on any of these. Uh, but uh, given the, uh, the aging population uh, that we have in rural Nova Scotia, uh, the support for seniors is, is very important. Uh, some of the measures included in the budget are going to help seniors keep more of uh, the income that they earn in retirement. And it's also going to uh, enroll uh, seniors automatically in the Canada Pension Plan if they're, they're not already enrolled. Uh, we've seen some great benefits along the Eastern Shore through the new Horizons for Seniors program. And there's an additional $100 million to build up community infrastructure that serves seniors uh, in, in uh, communities across Canada. Um, when I look at what the budget does for young people, uh, making the cost of an education more affordable uh, by lowering the interest rate on uh, student loans is a, a massive step uh, forward. Uh, but there's also been enhancements to the youth employment strategy and the Canada uh, Work Placement Program uh, that's going to see 84,000 new positions for uh, young people in, in their chosen fields. Um, there's a number of other themes. I feel like I've been talking for quite a while, but uh, some other ones that jump out for me are impacts on, on health, impacts on jobs, and uh, impacts on the environment. Uh, so if you want to dig in, I'm happy to keep going, but I'll give you the opportunity in case there's issues you want it to focus on. Well, let me ask one question, because uh, you've hit upon something that's really close to home for us, and that's health care. Now, I know that health care is a provincial responsibility, but uh, in Sheet Harbor, for instance, specifically, we have a, a crisis. We have a hospital that is, uh, has been closed on more occasions than we'd like to remember, and mm -hmm. there is anything that is going to deter people from moving to the Eastern Shore, settling there and uh, enjoying all the things that we have to offer. It's not having a fully functional hospital. 
It's mm -hmm. vital for, for older folks. Uh, I can say that because I'm an older folk. But uh, <laughs> uh, and Roscoe can say it because he yeah. want, he has he has family who are older folks, not as old. Mm -hmm. I am but older. And Roscoe. we all need a hospital, regardless. Um, and besides, um, like um, during the summer times, I've worked a lot for the sexual health center that's located in the hospital. And some and a lot of the times, I'll see people coming into the hospital, and they'll and they'll be at the doors, and then then they'll have to be turned away because the ER isn't open and seeing people getting turned away is one thing that, that um, um, makes me worry about the state of, of the healthcare in my community. So, so what, can we, what can the federal government do? I know, the, again, healthcare is a provincial issue, but the federal government oversees everything. Is there something <laughs> specific? that the federal government can do to help in this issue? Uh, so the, the short answer is yes, and, uh, and there's exciting news uh, that, I, that I'm happy to share. Um, the, the long answer, uh, if you'll, you'll indulge me, uh, begins uh, just, just with the, the sentiment that um, this is one of the most uh, frustrating uh, files uh, that I deal with, uh, primarily because uh, I hear complaints uh, about the quality of, uh, of health care uh, in all of the communities I represent, uh, including Sheet Harbor. Uh, the, uh, the fact that you guys have been struggling to keep emergency uh, care uh, open uh, at, at the hospital uh, is unacceptable in, in 2019. Um, why it's frustrating is that I hear these concerns repeatedly, perhaps as much as, as any other subject, uh, but the day-to-day -day decisions, as you quite correctly pointed out, uh, for the administration of healthcare in Nova Scotia do fall to the provincial government. Uh, that doesn't mean there's nothing the federal government can do, despite what, uh, what you do hear uh, some federal representatives say. Uh, so I'm very pre pleased to share that in this year's federal budget, uh, the province of Nova Scotia is seeing the single largest uh, transfer for healthcare in the history of, of the province. Uh, it's $1 billion, which is an increase of over $40 million as compared to, uh, to last year. Uh, in addition, uh, we recently landed on a 10-year agreement with the province uh, to provide funding for health care uh, that uh, topped up that, that $1 billion figure with an additional uh, $287 million that goes to two key areas, uh, one, in-home care for seniors, and uh, secondly, in mental health. Uh, the importance of investing in these areas cannot be overstated. Uh, if you look at, um, uh, if you go down to 374 and come out and pick the county, um, the fifth floor of the Aberdeen Hospital uh, has an entire wing that's uh, essentially turned into a long-term care facility for seniors. Uh, many of them need to be there to receive the level of care that they're, they're receiving. Uh, but uh, others are, are there that could be taken care of in a more cost-effective way, uh, specifically in either um, uh, nursing homes or potentially in their own home. Uh, it costs about $1,000 a night, um, if you, you'll allow me to round. Uh, to keep someone in a facility like, uh, like the Aberdeen Hospital. But if we can actually take care of that same person in their home, the cost can be as low as 80 to 100 bucks a day. Uh, you're literally chopping the cost of care for that person by a factor of 10, which frees up resources for the provinces. Uh, when you invest in, uh, in mental health, uh, the people that you're uh, providing not only experience a greater quality of care, uh, they're less likely to tie up other public resources because we know there's a huge link between mental illness and addiction. We know that there's a huge link between 
uh, people who uh, live with mental illness that uh, require uh, affordable housing, uh, that run into trouble with the law, that uh, find themselves before the courts, all of which ties to public resources. Uh, so these uh, uh, upfront investments save in the long term. Uh, in addition to the significant increase in funding we're providing to the provinces uh, to administer health care locally, uh, there are other things that the federal government can do. Uh, this budget in particular uh, introduced the new Canada Drug Agency, uh, which is going to help bring the cost of prescription drugs down, and it's the first step towards implementing a national pharmacare program. Uh, there's a new national dementia strategy backed by $50 million uh, that's going to help uh, families with, uh, who have a member living with dementia or Alzheimer's. Uh, there's $150 million going towards the Terry Fox Foundation for Cancer Research, uh, additional funds to research ovarian cancer, uh, uh, brain, dizzy, uh, brain uh, disorders, and rare diseases. Uh, further investments in mental health to focus on suicide prevention, particularly amongst young people. Uh, and we also have uh, removed the, uh, the GST or HST from certain kinds of uh, healthcare treatments, uh, like going to a collaborative care center. Uh, specific to Sheet Harbor, uh, there's one issue that uh, remains on my, uh, my to-do list. I've been working for a couple of years uh, trying to fix a problem that, um, that is uh, unique to rural uh, HRM so far as I can tell. Uh, right now, uh, communities uh, like New Glasgow and Antigonish that fall within my constituency uh, benefit from a particular incentive that is designed to help um, uh, make student loans uh, uh, more affordable uh, for people who practice uh, medicine or nursing in rural communities. Uh, because the, the hospital in Sheet Harbor, and for that matter, matter um, Muscadabit Harbor and Middle Muscadabit, uh, because they fall within HRM, they don't qualify for this. Uh, this has been so frustrating for me. And the answer that I uh, routinely receive from uh, civil servants who work in departments is that you fall within a census metropolitan area that's a larger than a certain number of people. Uh, therefore, you don't qualify. Uh, and that, that's not acceptable to me. Uh, when, I see, when I see that the, the programs are designed to serve the folks who work in Ottawa rather than the people that live in communities, I know we've got it backwards. Uh, so I'm like a dog with the bone on this one. I, I haven't gotten the answer I want yet, and I'm not going to give up until I do. Roscoe, you were about to say something. No, um, and that's when I want, that's one thing I completely agree with. Sometimes, um, sometimes I imagine people who don't understand the situation that they, that uh, rural HRM or, East, or in by a whole Eastern Shore faces when when it's attached to HRM is is that they sometimes they don't realize that just because we are attached to HRM does not mean that we receive the entire bulk of funding that you would think that a normal, um, a more uh, metropolitan metropolitan area would receive. We're not talking no. about, I mean, it's, we're not talking about an area as big as, say, Toronto. We're talking about um, a rural area that is just by, um, by virtue of amalgamation has uh, been encapsulated into the municipality. Yeah, that, that's right. And uh, so there's a number of uh, um, uh, solutions I, I've uh, proposed uh, to, to eradicate this, this problem because uh, it, it's no comfort to a person living in a rural community that isn't benefiting from programs designed for rural communities uh, that someone in Ottawa hasn't figured out how to redesign a program. So they're just going to leave you out of it. Uh, that, that's not fair and that's not just. Uh, what we need to do is stand up and defend uh, people who live in rural communities and make sure that they access the benefits that are specifically de designed for rural Canadians. Uh, this healthcare example is, is one, uh, one of many I've encountered 
uh, over the course of my time in office. And, and it's an important one to solve because of the importance of healthcare to the people in Sheet Harbor. Sean, let me change the, the subject completely, if I may. Uh, Certainly. One of the problems that all rural communities face is employment. Um, industry is, uh, is, in a, is confined to a, a few very small areas. At the same time, Sheet Harbor has an asset that very, very few communities have, and that's an ice-free deep water port. And it is so underused that it's criminal. Yes, a couple of small businesses have tried. Some have succeeded, some have not. But the area around the port is uh, is massive, and it would be the perfect place for the federal government, not the province, to establish a tax-free zone where products could come in, unload, be worked upon by a skilled labor force without being taxed, loaded back onto ships, and moved to other locations. It's a great opportunity to get industry going in Sheet Harbor at practically no cost to the federal government, no cost to the province. It would be, a, it would be paid for by the industries that use it. What about an idea like that? Uh, I'm always open to, uh, to new ideas, and I think uh, it's not just the port at Sheet Harbor that's um, uh, not operating at its, its full capacity. Uh, the, uh, the, the fact of the matter is, uh, Canada is very well positioned right now uh, to take port uh, to take part rather in export opportunities, and, and uh, port capacity is going to be a, a major factor in in that um, export development initiative. Uh, when you see we have new trade opportunities with the European Union, uh, when you see we've got a secured uh, trade deal with uh, the United States and a new trade deal with the Pacific Rim through the uh, CPTPP. Uh, what, what I see is Canada is now the only G7 country with the market access to every other G7 country. This means people are going to want to be shipping in and out of Canada uh, constantly. So there may be opportunities once these trade deals mature uh, to actually see more traffic come through. Uh, with respect to your proposal on creating a, a tax-free zone, uh, it's not something that I've, I've seen or am as familiar with in other jurisdictions, so I'd like to think it through a little more before I say, yes, that, that's the correct answer. Uh, but what we have made available is uh, funding to uh, build out transportation infrastructure in key transportation corridors. Uh, you've seen uh, perhaps the um, uh, investment at the Halifax Airport designed to expand their logistics park and uh, cold storage for seafood uh, to get product to Asian markets. Uh, perhaps you've seen some of the uh, the key highway um, uh, projects that have uh, been developed, like the, the 104 uh, that connects um, the chunk between New Glasgow and Antigonish with a twin highway so products can more smoothly get to uh, uh, take Cape Breton uh, right through to Halifax on a tw twin highway most of the way. Um, in the recent budget, you've seen um, uh, funding for uh, uh, ferry services uh, connecting Nova Scotia to PEI and, and to Newfoundland. Uh, so transportation investments, uh, including port infrastructure, uh, is a major part of our, our economic strategy. Uh, but it's not just the port uh, that I see opportunities for in Sheet Harbor. Uh, Sheet Harbor was built more or less on the commercial fishery and more specifically the commercial lobster fishery. Uh, there are things that we've been doing to help uh, grow that sector. Um, when you look at the investments in small craft harbors, uh, there's uh, nine in the area I represent alone uh, that has seen 
uh, somewhere in the ballpark of uh, about $16 million. Uh, the creates work in the short term locally, including on the Eastern Shore, uh, but also provides lobster fishermen with a safe place to unload their catch for, for a generation. Uh, when you see the new Fisheries Act legislation we've put through that secures the owner-operator model to ensure that local lobster uh, licenses are not bought up by uh, foreign uh, uh, multinational corporations uh, and the benefits remain with fishermen who live and work in the communities. Uh, I mentioned the Halifax Airport that allows uh, the product to fetch a higher price uh, because the product can more effectively get to new markets. And the, the trade deal with Europe I referred to as well has knocked 20% uh, tariffs down to 0%, uh, which means that local fishermen are able to get a, uh, a higher value for their catch. Uh, and if local fishermen are guilty of anything, it's of spending most of their money in their own community. Uh, so th this is the kind of thing that makes a difference for communities like Sheet Harbor, uh, but other rural coastal communities as well. So if you're going to think more about a, a tax-free zone, I appreciate that. That's a, it's a new topic, and I think it's a, a topic that is certainly worthy of consideration. There are a number of, uh, of businesses in Sheet Harbor that are doing fine. There are a number that, that are not doing so well. Is there anything, any stimulus that the federal government can help with that would allow those small businesses to perhaps get loans at a very favorable rate, to cut through some of the red tape for licensing. I know so much of this is, is provincial, but where does the federal government come in since you guys are the bosses? <laughs> well, you know, yeah, you know what? We're, we're not quite the bosses of everything. There's areas where the province is responsible and areas where the federal government's responsible under our constitution. Uh, but uh, small business growth is an area where we both have very important roles to play. Uh, so on, on low-cost financing, uh, if there are businesses that are looking to grow, uh, I want them to get in touch with my office because we have programming uh, through the Atlantic Canada Opportunities Agency specifically to help small businesses scale up uh, by offering them interest-free financing. Uh, there's other grant programs for small businesses as well. Uh, if you look at the, um, the kind of small business, it, it also makes a very big difference in terms of what programs are available. So, for example, tourism operators on the Eastern Shore uh, would be excited to know that uh, there's been uh, over $60 million in this budget uh, to, uh, to support uh, uh, tourism growth. Uh, across Canada, and, and over 10% uh, of that is reserved for Atlantic Canadian tourism opportunities. Uh, when you look at um, uh, the need to, to encourage more young people to become entrepreneurs, uh, we've established a new fund just yesterday in the budget with $38 million behind it uh, through the Future Preneur Program to encourage young people to start their own businesses that can hopefully lead to more economic growth in small communities. Well, that's great. That's all great news. You know, I, I'm sure Roscoe feels the same way that I do. Oh, 100%. <laughs> um, 100%. Um, I will ask. Um, uh, I know recently, my, my parents own a small business. And I know that recently they've seen the amount of tax, that the income tax that they've had to pay has gone down significantly um, in the recent years. Um, now, oh, does this budget have any type of new tax breaks or tax deduction in, in for uh, small businesses? 
so uh, specifically in this budget, uh, it, it's, it wasn't listed in the budget document, but, but the answer is yes. Uh, the, uh, just re uh, recently, the January 1st of this year, the small business tax rate came down to 9%, which is the lowest of any comparable economy in the world. Uh, we started a few years ago at 11% and have reduced it to 9%. Uh, but in addition to the changes to the small business tax rate, uh, the rate of personal income tax for 9 million Canadians has come down. One of the first things that we did uh, was raise taxes on the wealthiest 1% of Canadians and cut taxes for the middle class. Uh, in addition to the, uh, the tax cut that many people saw, we see the Canada Child Benefit, uh, which puts on average $6,800 tax-free into the pockets of families who receive that benefit in the area that I represent. Uh, just in, in Central Nova alone, this is injecting $48 million a year into our local economies. Uh, this is not only making life more affordable for families that live in the area, uh, but it's importantly uh, injecting that money back into the economy. Because most families who aren't sitting on a million dollars spend their money in their own communities, which further helps generate economic growth locally. 100%. Now, another thing, um, what are some infrastructure investments on the Eastern Shore that, uh, that we've seen possibly being funded by this budget, like some specific project perhaps? Uh, certainly. So, uh, and I'm happy to follow up with a list should you want it afterwards, but uh, we've seen um, a number of different uh, projects. I mentioned uh, small craft harbors uh, in places like uh, Owl's Head, uh, Sonora, uh, Larry's River, if you go further up, uh, there's been a handful on, on the Eastern Shore uh, that, uh, that have benefited from, uh, uh, from investment specifically. And, and there's uh, more to come as well because we put uh, $250 million into small craft harbor infrastructure uh, just uh, in, the last, uh, in last year's budget. Uh, when you look at small community infrastructure, I mentioned uh, the, um, uh, the uh, New Horizons program, which is supporting seniors facility. There's a number along the Eastern Shore. Uh, not too long ago, we were um, at, at the uh, Sheet Harbor Legion for an announcement of a quarter million dollars to develop uh, the Wild uh, Islands uh, Tourism Advancement Partnership. Uh, program that's helping with tourism infrastructure locally. Uh, but of course, there's one big project that I'm currently uh, neck deep in, and that's the proposed uh, new lifestyle center uh, in Sheet Harbor. Uh, it seems like it's a terrific community project. Uh, I am personally very supportive of it. I've been working very closely with my provincial counterpart and the municipal counterpart, and I, I'm, uh, I'm optimistic that uh, as long as the, um, the province comes to the table with money and, uh, and prioritizes this project, uh, that the federal government will be there to make its contribution as well. That's wonderful. That's a, the lifestyle center is uh, is vital for the community. At the that's other, right. At the other end of the spectrum, we have a really significant need for low income housing. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, both Roscoe and I work with organizations that uh, try to help people who are having a, a tough time just making ends meet and low income housing for them would be a blessing. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, on a, a personal note, I have a little piece of land where I could build housing for a dozen, 20 people with no trouble at all. What at programs can people take advantage of that would enable them to build and maintain good affordable housing for people who otherwise could not really afford it? Um, thank you for this important question. Uh, this is a problem that is not unique to our area. It is a problem across the entire country. 
the fact that we have homeless uh, people in Canada or one in a country as wealthy as ours, uh, to me, is, is completely unacceptable. Um, that's why we introduced a national housing strategy. And, and previously, under the, uh, the, uh, the last government, uh, they didn't view the federal government to have a role in housing. They viewed that to be the job of the province and the municipalities. Um, the, uh, the federal government has um, launched a, um, a national housing strategy backed by $40 billion. And uh, that has a number of different aspects to it. Um, there's, uh, so to answer your, your question, there may be programming available. It's mostly run through the Canada Mortgage Housing Corporations, which allocates uh, a certain uh, federal and provincial contribution to, um, uh, to, on a per unit basis to those who want to build new affordable housing units. Uh, the, in addition, uh, in, in a couple of years, there will be a program kick in. Uh, and this was, it's already been passed uh, through our, our previous budget. Um, to uh, allow a, uh, uh, a benefit that accrues directly to low-income people for the purpose of housing. This is great for rural communities. Uh, it's one thing to say there's a, a program that lets you build uh, high-rises uh, uh, that include affordable units. It's another thing altogether uh, when we actually put, excuse me, when we actually put money directly into the pockets of, of renters who can then find housing in their own community. Uh, it's, it's not okay for me to say, uh, to someone uh, in, in Victoria that, uh, that they may, uh, they, there, there's plenty of housing stock available. They only need to move to Newfoundland to get it. Uh, I'd much rather say you should be able to choose where you want to live uh, and find affordable housing in your own community. Uh, our goal is in the next 10 years to reduce homelessness in Canada by 50%, uh, which is a healthy start, uh, but I won't be satisfied until there's not a single person living in our country without a roof over their head. I think that's a very noble goal so that we all may that we all may enjoy having a roof over our heads at the end of the day that's right that's right uh, Sean the, one of the things that uh, people in our community in particular are really really good at is the skilled trades mm -hmm. we have builders we have uh, uh, people who work as electricians we have people who can plumbing we have we have more people who have such tremendous skills but they've had a, a difficult time acquiring those skills. Mostly it's through apprentice programs, uh, some community college things. What do we do to get younger students interested in the trades, if you will? Um, the, we have, there are programs now to get women interested in the sciences. God knows we need that. And those are wonderful. But what about the trades? How do we get more people to believe that going to college is not the be-all and end-all of a young person's dreams. It's, a, it's perhaps a step for people who really want to be there. And I know a number of people who have gone, young people in our community, who have gone into the trades, who have chosen not to go on to higher education, and they're doing great. And you know mm -hmm. the most important thing? They're happy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Look, th there are, are a few questions uh, more important than this. Uh, realizing that uh, one size fits all in terms of education is not appropriate is, is an important first step. Uh, when, uh, when to, specific to your question about engaging young people in the skilled trades, this is a major feature of yesterday's budget. There is a new program with a $40 million investment specifically designed to encourage more young people to go into the skilled trade. So your question couldn't have come at a better time. Uh, the the uh, skill development is, is a major uh, feature of this, this budget. 
Uh, when you look at the way that the global economy is going, um, you, we have to be able to offer the skills that, that service world markets, including uh, welders and electricians and carpenters, people who can do things with their hands that provide value to other people. Uh, in addition to the program that I just mentioned, there's a new Canada training benefit that was established in yesterday's budget. Uh, this is going to put uh, up to a thousand bucks every four years and up to five thousand bucks over your lifetime, uh, specifically towards skill development for people who want to take time away from work. Uh, in addition, this program is complemented by a change to the way that EI rules operate. They can put up to uh, over $1,400 um, uh, at, uh, at the same time you, you take advantage of this benefit uh, to help you bridge the gap if you take time off work in order to go upgrade your skills. So a person who uh, works for a few years at a local business, is working on their apprenticeship, uh, goes to get a specific um, uh, upgrade. Uh, if they take four weeks off, uh, they could benefit for up to 2400 bucks, a little bit more in fact, uh, in order to take that time away from work and become more qualified to, uh, to take on a new skill. Uh, it's a major feature of this budget and it's something that I'm incredibly proud of.